I remember walking into the green room and I'm the only female agent in the green room that night. And it was so exciting because I have what people argued as the number one player in college football. You know, he did go number three, but the number one player in college football. And I still felt like an imposter. I literally still felt the imposter syndrome. I walked in like I did not belong there. I kept waiting for somebody to kick me out. You know, it's the weirdest feeling. Um, Very emotional. And I remember just standing in there and wanting to get every feeling, smell everything, hear everything, never forget it. I'm like, I may never be back. I've got to take it all in. Let's go back a few months to the NFL draft. The most startling statistic for the NFL draft wasn't that Kyler Murray, now quarterback with the Arizona Cardinals, became the first player in NFL history to be selected in the first round of the Major League Baseball draft and the NFL draft. It wasn't that the NFL draft was viewed by 47.5 million people in 115 countries between television and streaming, which made it the most watched draft ever. No, here is the most jaw-dropping, startling stat from this year's draft. A black woman represented a top five pick for the first time in NFL history. In fact, this black woman was only the third woman, period, in the draft's 83-year history to represent a first-round pick. So who is this woman? Well, you're about to find out next on this episode of Jamel Hill is Unbothered. Up next, super agent Nicole Lynn joins me. So I've been covering, you know, sports for about 20 years. And I can tell you the one thing I have never seen, the one person I have never talked to, is a black female sports agent. Whoa. And that ends, <laughs> that ends today because uh, having you, Nicole, on this podcast um, represents a first for me. And uh, I imagine that that's probably the experience of a lot of people that yeah. you run into who have never dealt with a black female sports agent or very few have probably dealt with a, a female agent, period. Right? right? Yep. Um, so I guess... How do you handle, I know on one end, uh, being recognized as a trailblazer is probably, you know, cool and comes with it, with its own reward. But the other hand, I'm sure there's just a lot you deal with that we couldn't probably cover in this entire podcast. But so, <laughs> um, yeah, so for you, what's it like to, I guess, be a trailblazer, but also in a very isolated situation at the same time? Yeah, I mean, it's actually, it's really awesome. I love the opportunity that I have. It's something that I've wanted to do my entire life. Um, you know, it does come with its challenges, very specific challenges that I probably could not have anticipated going into it. You talked about the isolation. There are a few other women that are in this space and I love, and they're also trailblazers and doing great things. Um, but when there's 900 agents and only 1% are women, there's not many of us and there's not many that look like me. And so a few things I deal with are, you know, obviously just being comfortable with who I am when I walk in a room right? I like to be authentic. I like to be feminine. I'm sitting here now in heels and lipstick and and that's who I am. And so, um, you know, it's tough because I'm walking into like, for example, the NFL combine where it's all men and I've got a question, do I look too sexy? Um, are my pants too tight? Is my lipstick too red? Are my heels too high? Am I comfortable with being who I am? Have I, have I gone over the line? These are the kind of questions I would never expect to have to have as a person in a career. So, so those are tough, you know, obviously, gaining trust from from players just from the perspective of does she know football 
right? You know, when I meet a player or a dad, I've got to, you know, know the game three times better than my peers and I'm getting quizzed. So that part is really difficult, but you know, it, all those challenges, it's worth it. It's worth it every single day. I love what I do. I love my players. You know, most of the people in this business are very open to allowing someone new into their space, right? Mm-hmm. The first time it may be shocking, like you're an agent, but eventually they're like, oh yeah, yeah, she's an agent. So it, it's getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, and to give people who are listening an idea of just how rare um, someone like you is in this profession. I mean, you're the only black woman to have ever represented a top five pick in Quentin Williams, um, you know, in the in the NFL draft. Um, but uh, real quick, I want to ask you about something. Uh, so as you said, you have to think about things your, your male counterparts do not. And also from that appearance standpoint, um, you know, look, Let's just be honest. I mean, you're gorgeous, okay? So let's just be honest about that. So how rich would you be if um, you had, or if somebody gave you a dollar or $5 for every time you're mistaken for either a player's wife or girlfriend? Oh my gosh, I'm a billionaire. <laughs> I was like, I bet you I'm this happens all the time. You know, it's it's crazy. I've been in a situation with the team where I was kicked out of a, a, a team hotel for an away game because they thought I was a girlfriend trying to sneak in. Like literally have been kicked out and, and since have been apologized to. But that just gives you an example. I mean, every time I walk on the field with a pregame pass, I am questioned, how you get on the field? You know, where did this come from? Um, who are you? When I meet players, their first question is, are you a marketing rep? Uh, are you a publicist? And I say, no, I'm an agent. And they'll say, do you actually negotiate the contract though? I'm like, well, yeah, I'm an attorney. That's what, that's what agents do, right? I know I, I don't look like Jerry Maguire, but we do the same thing. So yeah, I'd be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I figured as much. Um, as I mentioned, you, you represent uh, Quentin Williams, who I think based off, he's a, for those who don't know, he's a, a defensive end for the Jets. And um I think his personality is incredible. Yeah. And so I think, you know, assuming the production matches the personality, he's poised to be a really, really big star. And in fact, if you're not familiar with Quinnen, you should get familiar. And here is a little sound of why I think Quinnen Williams (laughs) is poised for big things. Here here he is responding to when asked um, about the latest version of Madden and his player in particular. Here's what he said. Madden 20 came out, so I'm going to get on Ultimate Team now. Tomorrow I got an off day, so I'm going to get on it too. So. How was your rating? My rating, I got an 80 on Ultimate Team, so I'm going to go play with myself today. So, see how I feel. That came out weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm mad. I'm going to play with myself. I'm mad. So, take us back. How did you land Quinnen as a client? You know, it's really an interesting story, and I really just, I have to give it all to God. It's all just favor. He reached out to me. He found me. You know, he was Googling agents. I was not recruiting him. Uh, he was Googling agents, and kind of what initially drew him to me is he found some articles about me online. And a year ago, I won this Woman of the Year award that was put on by Salesforce, and I had to give a speech. And in that speech, I talked about my very first client I ever recruited and how when I recruited this player, I drove on my birthday six hours to get to his game. I stood in the rain for the kid. You know, I'm sitting there, hair's, you know, poofing up because I'm a black girl, mascara running down my face. And then he comes out and he just totally laughs at me and ignores me. I mean, it was just one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, but I use it as a testimony. And I talk about how, you know, you have to get comfortable with losing, et cetera. And so he found this speech and he thought, I want an agent that's going to go that hard for me every single day. And so he reached out. Um, and then obviously I had to go through the interview process with a bunch of other big time agents. But, you know, in the middle of my interview and when I was presenting to him, I addressed the elephant in the room right up front. 
I was like, look, it's very apparent that I have not had a first rounder. I mean, in fact, it's nothing to do with just being a black woman. I mean, there's only two other women that have had it, had one. And I said, it's very apparent, but I can do the job just as well as anyone else. Um, and I'm going to work 10 times harder to make sure that you know that. And then in the middle of it, he's like, I don't know how you haven't had a first rounder because you're a beast or something, you know? <laughs> and so from there, you know, we just, it's, it's kind of been like peanut butter and jelly and <laughs> we're inseparable. And so, yeah, it was, it, it, I give it all to God. What was draft night like for you? Yeah, it was emotional. My gosh. And just so many different ways. I felt like I had a lot of weight on my shoulders because everybody knew I was Quentin Williams agent. And so if I messed it up, uh, that was it. You know, in my mind, I felt like if I mess it up, the women that come behind me, you know, they'll never be given the same credibility. And that is not true, but that's the way you think. Um, I remember walking into the green room and I'm the only female agent in the green room that night. And it was so exciting because I have what people argued as the number one player in college football. You know, he did go number three, but the number one player in college football. And I still felt like an imposter. I literally still felt the imposter syndrome. I walked in like I did not belong there. I kept waiting for somebody to kick me out. You know, it's the weirdest feeling, um, very emotional. And I remember just standing in there and wanting to get every feeling, smell everything, hear everything, never forget it. I'm like, I may never be back. I've got to take it all in. Um, so it was just awesome. And then when we were waiting for the draft and waiting for it to start and then his name to be called, I had already prepped him for where we thought he'd go. Right, I knew he wasn't going one. I knew he wasn't going two. He knew that. I was so so. You so, felt like the Jets. It was a pretty good opportunity. Not, yeah, I thought it was a great opportunity. We didn't know for sure he'd go three, but I knew he wasn't going one or two. And I made that very clear with him. You know, to the point where he's like, "Okay, Nicole, I got it." Um, but I always want to make sure that I'm conservative, right? I never want to be sitting in a room with a player. You know, he's not my first player ever. He's just my highest drafted player, but ever sitting there and I haven't prepared them. But I also prepared him for the worst. You know, there are scenarios where there's some trades that could happen. And in my opinion, he could have dropped all the way to nine, right? And so I had prepared him the night before. Hey, I think we go three, but we could go nine. How are we going to react when we're nine? We got cameras. What are we going to do? Um, but man, I was praying we didn't go nine. Jesus. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Please, God, don't let us go nine. Um, but when that phone rang, it was just a moment where his dream came true and my dream came true all in the same, just kind of a split of a moment. And I just pulled out, looked over to him. And he just said, we did it. You know, he just whispered while he's on the phone with the Jets, we did it. And we just high-fived and it was just emotional. You know, he knew that just as much as I was helping him, he had helped me. And he told me that. He said, you know, when he signed with me, I could be a top five pick. I'm going to be a top five pick, you know. And he's very humble, but he's like, I could be a top five pick. Or I could be a top five pick that helps make history. He's like, which one is better? This is literally a 20-year-old kid at the time telling me that. And I'm like, hey, I'm good with the making history. <laughs> So he recognized, he's like, I want to help you as much as you help me. Let's make this a beneficial relationship. Let's do something different. Let's shake it up. So well, anyway. I, I know it hasn't, um, you know, I mean, this he's a rookie, but just in this short period of time between draft night and now, how has signing him impacted your career? Um, you know, it's absolutely impacted my career. It's given me the credibility needed with players. And so sometimes now I walk in the room and they know who I am. That's rare. Normally, I'm having to explain myself, so that's awesome. You know, being able to go in and say, "Hey, now I've I've done the big thing, right? I've had draft picks before, undrafted guys. I've done veteran contracts, but now I've done the one thing that I needed to do." And it just kind of gave me that stamp of approval, which is great. Um, obviously, a lot of brand recognition. Quinnen and I both have kind of separate brands that we've built, kind of unintentionally, based on our personalities, and so people know me as his agent. You know, I have to remind them, "Hey, I've got like 20 other players," and. <laughs> It's not just him, but yeah, it's been great. 
So, um, you know, you've mentioned before, or you mentioned a few moments ago that when you were talking to you know, a player's family, mm-hmm. maybe their dad, whatever, um, that you have to know your stuff more so than the men. I'm going to guess a lot of these angels ain't exactly football geniuses. Sure, Just yeah, gonna guess. of course. So, so I understand that there's a, a proving ground that's way different than you, um, where you, you know, that's different for you, rather. But at the same time, is there, honestly, in what you've encountered, are there just, like, the players, do they really have that many reservations about whether or not a woman can adequately represent them? Like, what are their reservations that you've encountered when you're talking to them? So the reservations are not, are you competent, right? The reservations are usually, will you be respected when you're doing my deal? Right. That is usually the question that I get. How will the GMs, are they going to be receptive to you? How will they treat you? Obviously, they want me to be treated well, and they realize if I'm not, it can affect their deal. And so I think that that is where the question is. Um, but I don't think is it, are you smart enough? Right. I think I present well. When I'm in the meetings, I let them know I can do, I can negotiate well. It's just, it's more of that. And then it's uh, also just the shock, you know, it's the perception of what a sports agent is supposed to look like. And then I walk in the room, it takes time for them to get used to, okay, we're in the 21st century. There are things that are different. You know, women are in positions that they've never been in. It's just not normal. It takes them a second to get it. So mm-hmm. um, now is that frustrating to encounter? Or are you just at this point, you just kind of expect it? <laughs> it's not necessarily frustrating. It's just draining. It's just draining. You know, every Every year, no matter how many players I get, it doesn't matter if I have five first rounders, I'm still going to encounter, you know, the person that works for a certain team that's going to, you know, make the comment. I'm still going to have to, you know, explain myself to whatever player I could represent Tom Brady and I'm still going to have to justify what I'm doing over and over. And so it's just draining sometimes to be like, yes, I'm a lawyer. Yep, I can do it. <laughs> so, so what, um, just overall, I mean, not just specifically about your gender, but I've certainly noticed this, that in the 20 years, again, that I've covered sports, black agents go through things that a lot of white agents don't have to go through. Um, for, you know, there's a lot of people listening who they've seen Jerry Maguire. <laughs> they may have seen other things. They've seen Drew Rosenhaus, who's all over the news right now because yeah. Antonio Brown, but I don't think they understand just what a different playing field it is for uh, black agents. Um, why don't you give some idea of like how what those differences are? Yeah, I mean, it's just, again, it's a mentality. A lot of times a player will see a white male and something in them naturally trusts them, right? It's something that society has set up. So even the black male agents that I'm close to in the NFL, they deal with that. Um, so I commend them for how far they've come. You know, even when I walked into the NFL draft, there were two other black male agents there and they walked up to me, both of them separate and apart. And were like, we are so proud of you. You know, it was just a moment. Like we, we understand it is not just me being a black woman, just being a minority in general in this, in this industry, you know, it's tough. And so they came up and they're like, we are so proud of you. Keep going. We're rooting for you. And, and I rely on them a bunch, right? Like if I have questions, I'm calling them, um, we're just we're just like a team. We're supportive of each other. That's something I definitely noticed when, um, yes, particularly when I was covering uh, college football and college basketball, is that the um, you know just the reluctancy to trust a, yeah. another black agent. I mean, I just I'll just say it plain. A lot of them are young, uh, mm-hmm. so I know that's part of it too. And then they're yeah. very much conditioned by the messaging and, and to some degree what they see on TV. Yep. But it was definitely also white man's ISIS colder shit. 100%. Like it totally 100%. was. Yeah. And so I um, I just wondered like how hard that is to to combat because I don't know 
where that I know where the mistrust come from is, you know, internalized racial yep. oppression, yep. a whole bunch of other yep. stuff. But um, you would think that more young black athletes would have the attitude Quentin had about making history and sort of uh, being with somebody who could potentially relate to your experiences. Yeah, I mean, you hope so. I mean, I do have a few players that will say, or their parents will say, hey, we want a, a minority agent to give them an opportunity, right? So there are people out there, there are parents out there that recognize the disparity. But again, players, the NFL, humans generally, we are conditioned to see different races in different ways. And and it's just, it's tough. It, it becomes a consequence for me and other minority agents. Now, what do you think, or what could they do, I guess, uh, you know, black athletes in general, not just the ones that are coming into the league, but the ones already established? Is there something that they could do to to empower more black agents? You know, it's tough. Once you're in the league, you have your agent. And a lot of uh, veterans are switching over. Majority of my clients are veteran clients that have left their agent to come over to me that feel like they want more personal attention. So when they are making those decisions to make a switch, if you know that's that's up to them, allowing a minority or a woman in the room when they're interviewing, right? So if they're going to interview three people, making sure that they at least are giving a minority or a woman a seat at the table, right? At least giving them the shot, and then they pick whoever they think is best. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, you said that, uh, you know, this is something that you've always wanted to do. Uh, you took, I guess, a detour just <laughs> working from Wall Street. <laughs> so how did this dream of being a sports agent materialize? So I grew up in the hood. Um, the Tulsa hood, hood correct? The yeah. hood, yeah, yeah. Very segregated city, you know, black Wall Street. And uh, I grew up kind of below the poverty line in a really difficult situation. I just say humble beginnings as do a lot of these NFL players. And so when I got to college, I met a lot of guys. I became very close with them. And we grew up the same way. We had nothing. And then I would see them get drafted, and they'd go from rags to riches. And it was so shocking. And then a few years later, they'd go back to rags. And it was this cycle that I just I could not wrap my mind around. Rags, riches, rags. Rags, riches, rags. And I used to think, wow, you got out, you got out. But then they'd be back. And so I would think, I tried to figure out what it was that I could do to effectuate change. And so originally I thought, okay, I'm going to be a financial advisor for athletes. And that's what took me to Wall Street. So I got a finance degree. I moved to New York City. Um, I worked on Wall Street to learn finance so that I could eventually be a financial advisor. And while I was there, I did a bunch of research. I interviewed financial advisors. You know, I wanted to get in, whatever I needed to do. And I learned pretty quickly that it is the agent that makes the change. Yes, financial advisors are great and they protect the portfolio and the long-term assets, but the mentality that a player has, the way that they think to retain generational wealth, it comes from the agent. The agent is the glue. It's the first call. Um, And I wanted to be that person. And so the minute I realized that I was going down the wrong path, even that it was for the same purpose, I deviated and very quickly. So I went, took the LSAT. I applied to law school within like three to four months. I was on my way because I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And every single step I ever made was very... um, uh, in line and just very specific. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, when you first started, was there, even though you, you had had this plan in your mind, was there a moment or an experience that you had, um, the birthday experience notwithstanding, oh, where you really got the you know confidence that you really could do this and really could pull this off? You know, there was never a moment. I just, for me, I never had a plan B, right? I always knew what I wanted to do. There was never a plan B. I didn't have a plan B as far as resources, parents, et cetera. So I had to make it, 
right? I had a different level of grit because I had to make it. And the other thing is, and something that I do often is I tell everybody about my dream, you know, and sometimes that's not the smartest thing. Um, but I tell everybody that'll listen because I want accountability. So everywhere I went, everybody knew I wanted to be a sports agent. And if I failed in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, the pressure. So I got to make it happen. And so you may see me do that on my Twitter or my social media. I'll just proclaim, you know, I think it's power of the tongue. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then when I fail, I do it in front of 50,000 people. But, you know, I was just, I was very upfront about that with anyone that listened. And it was kind of always like, I would tell them that. And they'd look at me, like I said, I wanted to be a rapper. That's the response. It's like, I want to be a sports agent. And they're like, oh, a little black girl from the hood. What else are you going to do? <laughs> right. So, you know, oh, that's cute. Yeah, she exactly. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, what's the backup plan? And I'm like, there ain't no backup plan. This is what God called me to do. I'm going to figure it out no matter what. And so. Well, um, you, it helps probably too that you got a little inside information in the sense that uh, you married an athlete. Yes. Right? A football player, I did, right? I did. Um, your husband, Gabe. Uh-huh. So, um, when I assume this was a dream that you shared, you know, with him early For on. Sure. And so what did he think about it? Cause I mean, he's seen that side of it. So he knows how difficult it is. I will say when we first met, I don't want to say it now, no, no shade Gabe. I don't want to say he didn't believe in me, but there, he still reacted the same way. If I'm being honest, kind of like, Oh, okay. That's cool. He was a little skeptical. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's cool. And we met in college so he was playing football and I'm like, one day I'm going to be an agent, you know? And at that time I'm 18 years old and he's still teaching me the game. So in his mind, he's like, girl, you don't got a 3-4-3 three, four, four, three difference in the defense down, so I don't know what you're going to do. Um, but I took it so serious. I'm like, I'm at every game. I'm studying. I'm watching film with him for years, for years to prepare. And then eventually, I think it clicked where he's like, okay, she's nuts. She's going to go for this. And I think it's actually going to happen. So, you know, and he's a college coach. And so we, all we do is eat, sleep, drink football. That's it. That's our life. We live it. Um, and so now I think if you ask him if I want to be an astronaut, he's going to say she's going to be an astronaut. <laughs> right. So he knows better now. Do you represent him? Uh, no, no, I don't. He's way Because <laughs> I was going to say, if you do, just because of that, you need to charge him 20%. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Right. For, not, for not getting in on this or to getting slightly in on this uh, sort of at, exactly. at, at the beginning. Um, but uh, even, you know, I, I know it's got to be difficult between a coach and an agent. Like, how do you guys make that work? Because I know you're probably on the road a lot. Mm -hmm. The coaching responsibilities, we know how intense those are. So how do you guys make that work? Uh, who girl. Okay. <laughs> still figuring it out. Okay. Still figuring it out. I got you. Yeah, he recruits all the time. I recruit all the time. Um, we try not to let kind of what we do, like from the just football, we do football together, but we do it separately. So there's no conflict. But um, yeah, it's just, it's a work-life balance issue that we have not tackled. We are still working on it. Just personally, that is that is a struggle for me, even just with self-care on my own. That's something that I'm very weak in. Um, you but know, work-life balance is kind of a lie. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's literally, it's if true. I hear it one more time, right? Yeah, it's like, right. It's, it's not. It's I don't not know possible. anybody who actually has exactly. a balance. But I know that can be, you know, it's, it's got to be kind of tough just to uh, sort of be having twin careers while yes. in the same sports yeah. that are, you know, kind of clashing with each other to but some I, degree. But I also think if I had someone else, they would not understand, right? When I'm every week and I'm gone in the fall and recruiting meetings, I mean, he's been through it, so he gets it. So I think that's the great part. You know, the hard part for me is that I'm also a practicing attorney. So I work at a law firm. So I work at a law firm by day, you know, all day long. And then at night I'm working with my clients. On the weekends I'm with my clients. And so I have two, you know, dual careers that are full-time careers. It is not a career and a side hustle. And so that's where it really becomes difficult. Uh, you mentioned you're recruiting all the time. I mean, Give us an idea of like what that kind of schedule is is like. I mean, you, as you said, you're still a practicing attorney. So, 
how are you finding this time to do the recruiting? Well, like, as you see, I walked in this room with my suitcase. I am always on a plane. And so, you know, I may be in the office Monday through Friday. And then on Saturday, I'm at a college football game trying to meet a player. On Sunday, I'm at an NFL game. Maybe Monday night football, I'm at a game. Back in the office on Tuesday. Uh, Maybe on Wednesday night, I'm taking like a quick flight to do a meeting with a parent and back in the office on Thursday. So it's just, it's nonstop. I travel at least once a week. Um, So especially in the fall, sometimes twice a week, like this week, I'm in two different cities, pulling off two different games, and then also trying to meet a kid. So my priority is always to my current clients, right? So there's a lot of agents that are on the road recruiting, recruiting hundreds of players, my, my current clients are the most important thing to me, you know, and recruiting always comes second. And sometimes I lose because of that, right? I'll get in late on a guy because I'm focusing on my guys, my guys that have, that have trusted in me, they are going to get my attention first. So, so when you are recruiting um, a player, I know a, a lot of it is you're trying to sell yourself to them, but what are you looking for in a client? Yeah, that's a really good question. So it, to me, and I tell guys this up front, it is an interview on both sides, especially being a woman in this business. I'm very particular about who I take. Um, I don't take guys with character issues unless there's something that I feel like I can help change. Um, so I'm always looking for a guy that's respectable. I mean, it has to make sense. I have to protect myself. So, you know, I'm just looking for guys that really love the game of football. You know, there are guys out here that play well that don't love the game, that really don't love the game. So I want a guy that loves the game of football, that has kind of that same level of work ethic that I have. Um, and that is respectable. Mm. So what, uh, as you got deeper and deeper into this profession, what was something that surprised you about either interaction with players or, um, you know, teams or whatever? What was it that surprised you um, that you discovered? Hmm. There's a bunch of surprises, it feels like. Mm. Um, you know, I think there, the surprise for me was how hard it would be to get white players so I don't represent a single white athlete. It is hard. Uh, you know, it's hard to get players, but to get a white male to trust me is my next goal, mm-hmm. right? I have one player that's biracial like me, um, but I don't have a single white football player. What do you think that, I that trust yeah, is different? I don't, I don't know what it is. I have no clue. It could be by happenstance, right? Mm-hmm. I won't blame it on anything. I don't know what it is. But I, I never knew. I knew it'd be hard to get guys, but I didn't realize the disparity based on what their race was. Mm. So, you know, my hope now is, okay, I want to be able to break in to a world of white athletes, Samoan, whatever that may be. You know, it's not just black athletes. Well, just in general, I mean, I'm trying to think off the top of my head um, of how many white players in general have black agents. Yeah. Right. It can't be that I, many. Yeah, I can't think of. Right. I mean, I, I can go through the marquee players. You kind of know who they're with. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, until you said that, I, I, had, I had never thought about that, that there's yeah. not a lot of white I mean, players who have black agents that in is general. That's literally my goal this year. I'm okay. like, I'm going to do everything I can to get a white player to trust a black woman. Right. That is like it doesn't matter where he's drafted. You know, it's not about him being a first rounder. It's just about I feel like when we're trying to change perception that's a one of the ways to do it. So it's really important to me. I want to have a diverse clientele. It makes me better, right? It makes me better when I'm able to relate to different types of people and different backgrounds. I relate really well to my players because we all grew up similar. We all have similar backgrounds. I want to step out of my own comfort zone. So a very weird goal, I know, to hear, but um, something that I'm working on. I met with a punter this year, you know, <laughs> and I was like, I'm going for it. <laughs> So whatever Hunters I need do. love too. Hunters okay. need love. <laughs> yeah, they definitely need love too. Yeah. Uh, as you, because you get the uh, opportunity to talk to so many um, young men and young black men in particular, 
when you're talking to them, what do you find they're most naive about when it comes to the professional process? Um, I think that they're naive about what an agent does. They're very confused as to what our role is. One, when it comes to a rookie contract, they are lockstep. Right In the first round, there's a little bit of room for negotiation. But at the end of the day, there is not an agent out there that is killing it for rookie contracts better than another. right? And so they put a lot of weight into to names when it's not super important early on. right? You, if you're a fourth rounder, you're going to get about what the CBA says. Um, so they put a lot of weight there. And then second, I don't think they realize that it really is the ju- just one job of the agent is to negotiate your contract. Everything else is extra. So if you're doing marketing for your player, if you're a life coach, if you're a mentor, that's you going above and beyond. And so I think that they're very confused on what we're supposed to do. You know, we're attorneys, we're here to negotiate a deal and everything else that I offer, that's really me going above and beyond. It is not required. And so, you know, it can be taken for granted because it looks like it's supposed to be there. Um, but it's not, it's really not. Yeah. Um, I, I had to figure that out. I think when I first started being, you know, represented is that not necessarily the life coach part, but you do figure out and get a better sense of how much it costs that's for sure, <laughs> when it comes to their Hello. services. Cause like, you know, you yeah. negotiating the, the, the yeah. actual contract with the team is one end, but then there's also if one day they want to write a book, if one day, exactly. you know, the sponsor, the, the sponsor and opportunity, the sponsorship opportunities you're bringing in, that's another check to get you yep. as well. So every time you negotiate something, yep. uh, speaking engagements, appearance fees, like all those things are all tied up into that. And yep. so I, I think I could easily see <laughs> that once you start running that down, they're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, well, you mentioned that you you won't uh, work with guys with with character issues. I I imagine it depends on the type of character issue. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know that um, that we're talking about. Have you already like say passed? You don't have to say who it is. Passed on on somebody who might have gotten you visibility, but they had the character yeah so issue I'll, as a problem. I'll answer that in twofold. So just to clarify, character issues that I think are actual character issues. So one of my first clients had a rape charge. And I knew him and I knew it was, it was not real. And I took him on because of that. So to be clear, it's, it's discernment and knowing, okay, this is, you know, people think that there's an issue here and there really isn't. So I want to help clear your name or I want to help you in that. Um, So it kind of depends on that. As far as recruits that I've sat with all the time, all the time I am in a situation where I'll sit with a guy and I'll say, nope, can't do it. Can't do it. You know, great for another agent won't be for me. You know, I know one kind of my motto is I am not for everybody. I'm not for everybody. What I do, I think I do well, but it's it's a weird skill set and some players really think it's awesome and some players think it's annoying, right? And that's okay, right? There's thousands of players out there. And so I try not to ever get too high or get too low. Thousands of players, this guy's just not my guy, right? And so that's kind of the way I look at life. You know, I am not for everybody. Now, you don't just represent NFL guys. You also represent... Um, a few softball players, yes, correct? I do. And a ballerina. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, um, yeah. why did or how is it that you branched out into those two particular areas? Yeah. So, in softball, I've had the last couple number one overall picks in the pro draft. Uh, Lauren Chamberlain was my first client in the pro softball sector. I really wanted to find a way to make a change for women in sports. And I felt like the most neglected sport for women was softball. And that's how I got into softball. So, I didn't know softball had a draft. I didn't know they had a pro league. You know, I had no clue. And so I thought, how can I help who really needs it, right? I think all women in sports or all sports um, that have women leagues, 
there's there's issues there, obviously disparity in pay, et cetera, but none greater than softball. And so I got in it to help these players. So, you know, when I'm negotiating their contracts, I don't even charge my players. I don't charge them. I'm doing it for free. I'm just trying to find a way to make change. Um, and then, you know, I can get them some marketing and get them some endorsements and help build their brand. But for that specific sport, there was a greater purpose. It ain't about the money. It's about how can I make a change? And I think if I can start there, you know, maybe we can venture out into the WNBA one day and soccer, et cetera. Um, well, you mentioned uh, venturing out. I know one league you're hoping to venture out is the NBA. Um, yes. And so that's among many things I want to discuss with you. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more from Nicole Lynn. So one thing that's interesting about um, the setup that you have now is that Lil Wayne is technically your boss. Yeah, he <laughs> right? is. Because <laughs> he brought the agency that uh-huh. you, you first obviously became a part of. So um, I guess what what is that relationship like with Lil Wayne? Yeah, Lil Wayne is awesome. You know, it's funny because he's very introverted which is something I did not know before meeting him. He's very introverted. Uh, I love working with him because he stays in his lane. He stays in his lane. He he wanted to get in sports, not for the money, but similar reasons. So we have uh, kind of the same passion, same dream, same vision. He wanted to be in sports to help you know these young men um, kind of not get screwed over. And he wants to do that by hiring who he thinks are the best agents in the business. We have five other agents in our company. All of them have been agents for 20 plus years. They're phenomenal. So Little Wayne is not negotiating deals. You know, I think years ago when Master P got in the business, it's like he wanted to be an agent. And that was the difference. Little Wayne said, no, let me just step back, bring in people that I trust and go from there. And so I love that. Stays in his lane, but supports when he needs to. Um, and so it's been a really good working relationship. Yeah, the Rock Nation setup is very similar, right? Rock Nation, I think, is a little different in that mm. it Jay Z kind of built from the ground up, right? Which there's none, neither that is you know good or bad or whatever. Lil Wayne came and got an agency that already had about sixty NFL players, six agents, t- been around for twenty one years, and then put his name on it. Um, and I think there's benefits to that. I think there's benefits from building from the ground up, but very different. Uh, strategies. So, um, you know, as somebody who works under uh, Young Money and, um, you know, an organization that, as we mentioned, like Rock Nation Sports, while starting in different paths, um, you know, there's some similar setup. Of course, I'm sure you are no stranger, Nicole, to the fact that Jay-Z has been in the news quite a bit as of the taping of this podcast after the partnership with the NFL. Um, You know, not that you were required to, but I wrote a column about it for The Atlantic. And my position was, although I firmly recognize all the things that Jay-Z has done for our community and uh, I consider him to be uh, an icon and not just because he's had a great rap career. um, I think it's no question his commitment, commitment to blackness and black people. That being said, this just felt like a mistake to me. And that doesn't that's not questioning necessarily Jay-Z's intentions, although I realize he's in it to make money. Um, It's mostly because I don't trust the NFL. And I think it's, uh, they are to me using social justice and the money they're putting into the players coalition and social justice campaign is a very obvious cover to try to absolve themselves of the fact that they have kept Colin Kaepernick out of the league. They have blackballed him. So, 
those are that's where I stand with it. What was your opinion seeing it unfold? My opinion is a little different. Um, I think the optics of the deal don't look great, right? Just from a perception standpoint, when I saw it, of course, we all, you know, our stomach dropped. It's like, what in the world is going on? But I will say, um, Jay-Z has never failed us. Jay-Z has never failed us yet. And so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt until he gives me reason not to. And I just kind of think about him joining with the NFL. And I have no idea what that relationship looks like. We have no details at this point. But I do think that change can be made more effectively when you're on the inside. Now, I will leave you know, with this comment in that maybe it's not that, right? And we will see. But I want to give the man a benefit of the doubt. I also saw reports that he might be an owner of a team. And so I think that that is a different issue, right? There's the deal with the NFL, and then there's being an owner, both of which I think still gets you kind of a seat at the table that is needed. We have been arguing and fighting for a black owner for years. This is all I talk about. You know, we've got 75, 80% of the NFL are black players and no black owners, and we finally get the opportunity to have one, and everybody's upset. And in my mind, I'm thinking, who better than Jay-Z? Who better than Jay-Z? And... And then I know there's the questions about the conflict of interest because he has Rock Nation Sports, but Jay-Z is not an agent. You know, I don't know. Yeah, supposedly he doesn't negotiate. And yeah, that, yeah. That's a, a, a easy end for him to be at because yeah. he doesn't negotiate any of the contracts. And if I look at it from, if I can just compare it with Wayne, I mean, Wayne is not recruiting. Wayne is not dealing with teams. It's He is, you know, a mentor and at the top and that's it. And so if Jay-Z kind of plays that same role, I don't think there's an issue. I also assume that whatever interest he gets in the team, it'll be non-controlling, Right. And so because of that, I don't know if there's a conflict, but I just want to see what happens before I before I say no, because he ain't let me down. (laughs) (laughs) I I do understand people giving him the benefit of the doubt when you look at some of the other uh, business deals he's done and and just him being able to. You know, that's this is how he became hip hop's first billionaire and um, billionaire rapper, rather, and uh, his ability um, to kind of use his leverage to to have ownership of whatever situation that he's in. I just think he's up against something different here. And I guess what bothered me about it was knowing that this was the NFL's grand plan all along. And if um, for those people who may not have heard it, but the New York Times, they have audio tapes from the players coalition meeting, um, you know, between the owners and players and some other NFL executives where they talk very clearly about the fact that they wanted to get a spokesperson. Um, They didn't say a black spokesperson, but I knew they meant a black (laughs) spokesperson so that they could make them the face of this issue as opposed to Colin Kaepernick. And they kind of wanted, as we know from this year's uh, uh, Super Bowl halftime show, which was not great. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, I do kind of blame Beyonce for that because once you see her, it's like, it's kind it's of over. Messed. It's yeah. over. Her, her, and, her and Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars. In it. fairness. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the halftime uh, act and the halftime performance became a controversy. Yeah. And I, the NFL does not want any controversy around its signature event. Uh, I'm just for always keeping them and much like many of the power structures in our country in a space of discomfort. And I just thought that Jay-Z gave up a little too much being that access to black entertainers and because that's what they wanted so that he could convince them to probably like it's okay to do the Super Bowl now but they ain't deserve that 
Okay, yeah. when it's okay for Colin Kaepernick to get a job, y'all can get some Rihanna. How yeah. about that? <laughs> that should be that should have been on a negotiating table. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Rihanna, Colin Kaepernick, we'll yeah. trade. There you go. <laughs> but yeah. so yeah, I mean, I guess there's more to be determined. And even with the the ownership interest, um, I just I just would have to wait to see on that because yeah. um, you know, we know that it would have to be non-controlling, just For sure. doing the math. Yeah. And it's like, was it worth it to do that if it yeah. leads to that? You know, I'm I'm not sure. So um, while all the Jay-Z stands have been firmly in my mentions, um, <laughs> I ain't tell y'all not to listen to Blueprint, all right? Like, it's, <laughs> ain't nobody canceling Jay-Z. It's all yeah. good. Yeah. But I, this is probably one of those issues where one of the rare issues where I disagree yeah. with how he moves and he's usually very careful careful and calculated about how he moves but I have a feeling he did not see this backlash coming oh there's no way there's no there's way no he way. saw this no yeah because yeah he's been criticized before and been at the center of some controversies but never one where you know we as a community where it's called in, intra-community infighting like yeah. Was, yeah. you know because you had two people here you know, you got Colin, who a lot of people respect. You have him, who a lot of people respect. So uh, this definitely seems like something that, that kind of caught him off guard. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm curious to see how it plays out, you know, and I will have an answer real quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, quickly. Beyonce is I was like, ask, <laughs> Beyonce, Beyonce what, is what like, do you, you think, know, girl? <laughs> I'm going to sit this one out and I'm going to just let y'all For sure, <laughs> for sure. I'm going to let you finish, yeah, but. <laughs> right. Yeah, just, you know, sometimes... Uh, you know, you have to let let things linger the way that yep. <laughs> the way it happens. So I'm glad to get your perspective on that. Yeah, of course. So when you're when you're sitting down with parents, what are they most concerned with? For Lil Wayne specifically? No, mean? not with Lil oh. Wayne, but just in general. Just like what are they concerned with about the transition into professional life? Um, you know, for their their kids. A lot of times they're concerned with things that they've heard from other agents that you know, they've exacerbated as if they're bigger issues than they are. Like, what language are you going to get in this rookie contract for the seventh rounder? You know, it's like, none, we're not going to get any, it's going to be the language they give us, you know? And so sometimes it's things that's, they just don't know any better. Um, and so a lot of times the concerns in my opinion, they're just, uh, I don't discredit them, but I recognize that they're coming from somewhere else. You know, they're, they're hearing so many different things from all these different agents and, Agents put emphasis on different topics, and so they're concerned. Sometimes I want to, you know, be like, "Hey, I promise you, this is not a big deal. I promise you, you know, he's he's projected to go undrafted. That language is, we're not, you know, we're not fighting much for any language there. So, so that can be tough. Um, and I think that they're just they're they want their kids to be safe. Usually, they all have really good intentions. They want their kids to be safe and to get through it, and to have someone that's gonna to represent them well. You know, I, I find a lot of times where parents aren't involved. Right, I've got kids making their own decisions and yeah, they've got parents or dad's gone or mom's gone. Kids are doing it on their own. So more likely than not, I'm, I'm finding these guys that, that don't have any parent helping them make the decision. And that's the harder part. Um, I've had to fire a couple agents. <laughs> have you, have you had the experience of having to be fired? I have not yet. Okay. But here's what I will say. Every agent's going to get fired. And so I tell players all the time when they'll ask, Oh, have you been fired? I'm like, not yet, but right. I will. Right. I will. So, you know, every amazing agent has been fired. Majority of agents are fired for marketing. That, that's the number one reason a player wants more marketing. They're confused by what an agent's role is. They think the agent's supposed to get them more marketing. They see marketing over here to the right and then they switch agents. That's the number one reason why an agent is fired. Um, I think that the statistic is that over 300 NFL players 
uh, switch agents on an annual basis. So the more players you have, the more likely you're going to get fired. And so I, I, I tend to say instead of no, it's just not yet. Mm-hmm. It will come. Um, and it is what it is, you know. Yeah, no, I mean that is that is, that is the business. It's one of the it it's one it of is. the few businesses where I'm not going to say being fired is good, but it's not as bad as it looks because yeah. you when you hire an agent, you're you're going to fire them at yeah, some point. I've almost fired a client, you know, in situation so a while back, and so I've been in that. You know, I realize that the power is on both sides. You know, you do not have to work with anybody you don't want to work with. And I, you know, in the beginning of my career, it felt like I got to take all these different players, no matter what, because I'm just trying to get in. And I don't feel that way anymore. It's like, I don't, I don't have to deal with the drama. You know, if you don't, if you don't recognize what I bring to the table still at this point, we don't have to work together. So how do you, how do you, um, you know, handle that, that you're not only in a position where you're likely to be fired, but you hear no way more than you hear yes. So how do you mm, absorb yeah. that? Yeah. So the part that I hear no the most in is recruiting. So, you know, we recruit, let's say we recruit 20 players a year, I may get one and that says yes. And so I am told no so much, you know, you're told no by teams. When you're trying to get a player on a team, you're told no over and over and over. Um, And I always say the way that I think I have made myself successful is that I've gotten very comfortable with losing up front. You know, I'm very comfortable with losing. I think all winners lose. And so the minute I realized, okay, I just got to keep stepping that's the minute I, I realized that I could be successful in this business. But, you know, I am, it, it, it's disheartening and I get more used to it, but there is still something that messes me up when a player ghosts me. I do not know why, but, you know, you're recruiting them and then he, instead of just being like, hey, I've gone in a different direction, they just ghost you. And I'm like, hold on, I am not a 21 year old girl chasing you. You are not about to ghost me. <laughs> but it just messes up my pride, you know, black girl chasing black guy and him ghosting you. So something ain't right about that. But right. besides that, <laughs> I've gotten, but I've gotten very comfortable with the nose. Yeah, you know? I mean, you you think that um, people would be aware enough to know, like, you at least just let me know. Just give them the professional courtesy of saying, "Thank you for your time. I've gone in a different as direction. cool. I'm going somewhere else." Yeah. But I, you know, I guess they're learning as yeah, well with how to deal with these things, and I think to some degree they probably feel like they can just treat this any kind of way because wow. they're the quote unquote talent, if you will. Yeah. So. Um, well, I when I see them, though, that. when I'm at the combine, you I remind see, like, I, oh, I'm that agent, you know, and I'm very nice, but I'll be like, oh, I remember when you ghosted me, you know, and then they're just like horrified. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm kidding, but, but, but don't not, do that again. Not, right? <laughs> it's terrible. So. Um, so, you know, when you got into um, the business and you were just, you know, kind of getting your name out there and, and talking to players, what, what, and, and it, it probably is maybe the, carried on and is the same way now, but have you changed your approach with how you approach them now versus when you first started? You know, I, I still do kind of outside the norm things to recruit. You know, I use social media, obviously, a lot. Um, if it's, it depends on the state, there's a lot of laws on what you can do. But if it's allowed, I'll show up at a game. I'm still still that same agent. A lot of agents do not do that. And I recognize why they don't now. You know, the big name agents like Drew, his name is, it carries so much weight that he gets calls. You know, this year was the first year I ever got a call from a, a player's family, with the exception of Quinnen, um, where they said, hey, we want to set up a meeting with you. And I'm like, oh, you know who I am? Like, I'm not reaching out to you. So that was a shocking moment for me. But I still, you know, I'm going to show up at a game. If I can't get a text message back, I'm going to wait outside and I'm going to introduce myself. Maybe and, even in the rain. <laughs> in the rain, 100% in the rain. Yeah. Um, and my hope is that they see if I'm willing to go that hard early on, I'm going to obviously do that when I'm getting paid. Mm-hmm. So I always hope that it sh- shows that I stand out, right? That I do extra from day one. 
So do you, uh, I imagine that there's probably like a lot of young people who approach you about wanting to be an agent, right? Um, What is it? What's your advice to them? Raise money. (laughs) Raise money. money. (laughs) Save money. Okay. Um, The agent business, the piece of advice I give everybody that wants to be an agent, the agent business, the margins are low. The amount it costs to get in is high. So when you see an agent in an agency, people always assume the agency's paying for everything, you know, whatever. No, I'm an independent contractor working under a brand. So every flight I take, every meal I buy for a player, I mean, I spent 50 grand last year on flights. That's all out of my own pocket. Every player that I train, that's all out of my own pocket. There's not a dollar that comes from an agency, right? And that is not, that's not specific to Young Money App of Sports. That is how it works in the sports agency. There may be one or two different setups out there, but most agents are independent contractors. They run their own business, maybe under a heading. And so when you're training a guy, if I finally get a guy to trust me, you've got to train him. And even if he's a guy that goes in the seventh round, he's going to cost about seventy, uh, sorry, $25,000. So on average, we spend about twenty five grand on each player to train them for the combine. Where am I going to get twenty five grand from, right? So that's tough. So partnering up with people that can help in investing um, or saving money. You know, I even just, like I said, the flights, just to see my guys, to keep my guys. I'm spending a ton of money, and a lot of times I have to book last minute because I'm waiting on their responses or their schedules, which are kind of all over the place. Um, If you don't have the money, then you do what I do, and you keep your career, and you work it on the side. And I think this is now my fifth year of doing both, which is not good for your mental health. I'm not saying do it long term, but fifth year of doing both, and I have that security, right? I'm an attorney. You can't take that from me. I know I'm getting that check. But just like you mentioned being fired, I could be fired by one of my big players at any moment's notice, at any moment's notice, and then my my checks are stopped. So it's tough. The money part, you know, like I said, the margins, they're they're very slim. Is that why you think that they're, that money element, having the ability to be able to to essentially fund some of these athletes early on before, um, you know, you negotiate something new from it. Is that why you don't think there's more, is that a roadblock or how big of a roadblock is there for, for black agents, you know, like getting more of them? Biggest roadblock, mm-hmm. biggest roadblock, because once you are done with your NCAA eligibility, you can receive anything from an agent. It is not illegal. So once they come off the field of their bowl game, they can get whatever. And I remember my very first player that I recruited, um, I had a meeting with, him in Florida and an agent came behind me with cash. You know, I didn't have cash, cash. It was like, you sign with me, here's this amount of cash. And that's very common. Even agents that don't have a lot of clients, but they come from money. Um, I would say that is the biggest roadblock. And, and a lot of times it comes down to the final two agents and the players just wondering about the signing bonus. Okay. What, what kind of stipend am I going to stipend? Am I going to get, you know, and one, agent gives 25,000 more and then you've lost that quickly you've lost. And I'm always begging players. I'm like, you're going to be a millionaire in about three months, you know, pick the person that you, you know, want to do life with that you really want to do life with. But yeah, I think that's the biggest roadblock. So how big of a problem are shady ass agents? <laughs> Cause everybody ain't playing by them NCAA rules. You know? It's tough. You <laughs> yeah. know, I, I work with integrity and I do everything by the rules to a fault. You know, sometimes I lose because of that. I, I tell guys, if someone's willing to break the rules now, they're willing to break the rules with your money, right? And so I, I tell them all the time, I won't give you a stick of gum until you, you're signed with me. But as far as shady agents, most of the agents in this business are really good. There are obviously a few out there that, you know, do things the wrong way, but I have come across a lot of amazing agents. I mean, agents that are willing to 
help you, right? When you've got questions about a contract or, or team up when you're doing a deal, like maybe you've got the second rounder, they've got the third rounder and working together with the team, um, a bunch of really good agents from some of the top agencies. And so I don't have many negative things to say. I mean, the business now, I think, has filtered out some of those cancers. So where do you stand, since we're, we're talking about the NCAA, where do you stand on players getting paid in college? While in college. Yeah, I think they should absolutely be paid. Mm. I don't know that I have the perfect answer and formula as to how, but when someone is using your likeness, right, consistently using your likeness, uh, that's a problem. Second, since I'm married to an athlete, I got to see what he had to do every single day to be a college athlete. And it was shocking, you know, up at five, home late. He could not major in what he wanted to major in because he he's a football player, right? And it's not because they don't want him to, but he's got to be at practice. And those engineering courses are at a certain time. So I absolutely think that players need to be paid. I think that it is coming. I, I really believe we are very close to something happening. I just don't know what that formula looks like. Are you paid more because you play at Alabama, right? Do you, because they've got more people filling the seats. Um, is a Division II player paid? I think there's so many unanswered questions and, and how that could work out. But yes, they need to be paid. It also would be good business for you, too. It's going to need people exactly. to negotiate this yeah. uh, if they begin some kind of um, you know, yep. pay-per-play. NCAA, call me. As I mentioned <laughs> uh, before the break, that you are also um, thinking of or will be venturing yeah. into the NBA. I already put and, it on Twitter. So, yeah, you, you already know, put it out there. <laughs> you spoke it into the existence. Um, and yeah. part of that is you have to go through exactly what process to be able to represent NBA players. Yeah. So I've got to get certified through the National Basketball Players Association. And so it's funny because I put that tweet out there that got like a million views about, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to venture into basketball. One, I put it out because of accountability. I never thought I would do basketball, mostly because of how difficult it is. There's only 64 draft picks, 32 that actually make a team usually, right? The first round versus with the NFL, we've got like 260, right? So we're all fighting in the NBA for 30 players, really the top 15. And in my mind, the top five go to LeBron's agent, the next five go to Kobe Bryant's agent, Michael Jordan's agent, you know, and so I, I just, it's discouraging. It's like, how do you break into that market? Um, and so that was tough, but I decided I'm going to at least get certified and be prepared in case God put something in front of me that just wants to come out the blue, like Quinn Williams. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've got to get certified by the, uh, in the Players Association, but now there is a separate certification with the NCAA, and it's just interesting. Literally a month after I proclaimed that. Here comes these, the rich ball rule. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe it. And I thought, dang, and I just had to open my big mouth and put it all out because it discouraged me. I, I'm going to be honest. I was like, I don't want to do it anymore. Like if I have to take a separate exam for the NCAA, no other sport has that. So in football, we have to take an exam with the NFL. With the NFL Players Association, it's very difficult. Pass rate's very low. But they govern the agents. The NCAA does not also get to let us take an exam. So I'd have to take a separate exam. Then they have the and rule And it's in-person, too. Exactly. Yes, yeah, an in-person exam. In-person exam. And then this, this new rule where you have to, if you have a player that you're wanting to recruit that's kind of on the bubble, you have to have already been an agent for three years. So that means I can really only recruit lottery picks. So that's difficult, right, for your first year as an agent. I can really only recruit the guys that for sure are going to make it. Um, and are not going to want to go back to school. And so those are two additional hurdles that have been added since I said I was going to be an, an NBA agent. But I'm, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. What do you, um, I mean, I, I guess in what you've been able to glean so far, like, is there, do you feel like a, a, a prospective NBA player wants to hear something different than an NFL player? Is that, or do you, 
You know, like, I don't know how much you've dug into that, but just how you might have to change up what you say just based off the sport being so different. So when I think about NBA contracts, and this is with limited knowledge, obviously, but when I think about NBA contracts, because they're fully guaranteed, I would assume the language is not as important. For for example, with an NFL contract, since they're not all the way guaranteed, I've got to add as much language into it, you know, fixing the default language, offset, et cetera, to protect them as much as I can to get as close to a guarantee as I can. Where in the NBA, it's going to be guaranteed no matter what language I put in there. So in my opinion, that part seems like it'd be more simple. The harder part is that you're working with more famous people. Uh, NFL players, and the reason why I like repping NFL players, because they wear helmets. You know, unless you're a Quinnen Williams who's got all these funny interviews, et cetera, most people don't know who a D-lineman is, right? They walk into a grocery store, you know he's a big guy, but you don't know who he is. So because they're not famous, they don't come with the egos. And so in basketball, I mean, everybody knows who you are. Um, I think they also care a lot more about marketing and endorsements, shoe deals, et cetera, where you get an offensive lineman in the NFL, they just want to play football, right? They just want to play football. They are not worried about that. So I do think that they're – the basketball players look for something very different. Um, and it's something that I'm going to have to make sure I can cater to. So do you have to, you have to go through that same process, even if you are representing a women's basketball player? Is, is that, Ooh, so I don't know. That's, I don't, I, that's I what I wonder. I actually have no clue. Yeah. If, um, I don't know. I yeah, don't know. Cause you, when you mentioned the WNBA and yeah. wanting to help yeah, um, women get, you know, better and fairer salaries. I just wondered, I was like, do you have to go through the same That's a good question. process to do um, that? Though a lot of, you know, a lot of women's players make an incredible amount of money overseas. Yeah, yeah they do. So um, that can be a little bit, you know, more lucrative. So you you gave your advice about what you tell yep. um, young folks who want to be sports agents. What is that advice that you give different if they're a woman that wants to be a sports agent? And what would that be? Uh, so for women... Obviously, the capital is important and having money, I think that's important for anybody. The second part is just really protecting your confidence because you are told no so much. It, you know, if you are not someone that's already confident, it can really just break you down, right? It can really break you down being told no by men over and over and over. It, it's just a reversal, right? It's like you, a lot of times you see men chasing after women, or at least that's the perception. And, and for me, I have to drop my pride every day and beg a 21-year-old to text me back. And so I think that can just really mess with your mind. So preparing them for that. Uh, the other advice I give is not to cover. You know, covering is when you uh, conform to the dominant culture, right, in an organization. And so for me, if I were to cover, I'm conforming to the dominant culture of the NFL, being one of the boys. I don't want to be one of the boys. I want to be a woman. I want to be whatever that is for me, right? If a woman for me is I want to wear heels or I want to be feminine, I'm going to be that every single time so that I can blaze a new path. If I just kind of fit in, well, then I'm not really making a change. And so I, I beg women, be authentic, be whoever that is for you. Um, because I see a lot of women in sports, not specific to agents, that feel that they have to be one of the boys. And you don't. You don't. Because we don't make a change when we conform and we cover. We make a change when we are who we are and we're authentic in doing so. It, it, it was interesting when you um, when you posted the the video on social media where you're uh, about your appearance and you're just like oh should I do this should I do that um, again things not to to that other you know the guys don't necessarily have to worry about but did you worry though on some level that your attractiveness would be kind of held against you yeah no absolutely you know early on it was a big struggle um, and I can't say I don't still struggle with it now here and there but now I feel like it's your problem, 
That's the way. I, that's the way I handle it now. It's your problem. Uh, one of my mentors always says that excellence is your greatest currency. If I am excellent, everything I do, it doesn't matter what I look like, right? And so I'm going to provide excellence. And if you can't handle that by the way I look, it's not my problem, right? It's not my problem. I am just who God created me to be. I'm always going to be professional, right? And I and I talk to women about that. I'm still professional. When I say authentic, I don't mean unprofessional. I think there is a balance there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 not my problem. Mm. So. Um, well, look, uh, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Um, I'm sure you are, you know, you have so many other top five picks coming in your future. You're, Fingers crossed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so next year when they're like, oh, for she's the first black woman who two years in a row had a top five uh, NFL pick or who knows, maybe even got the next Zion Williamson. Uh, if the assuming you pass all your certifications, which I have no doubt that you will. Thank you. But yeah, no, thank you for um, for sitting with me. I know your schedule is is crazy. Um, and just good luck with everything. Thank and you. continue to be an example for all these young people and women in particular who want to get in a, a you know a male dominated field. I mean there every field feels like it's male dominated, but sports is on a different level. Another and level. especially another level. In in the agent business, yeah. uh, a much different level. So Good luck with everything. Um, you know, and one of the things I could already tell just based off following you on social media, because uh, this is the first time we've ever had an in-person conversation, <laughs> is that you were definitely somebody who comes from an unbothered place. So you made the perfect guess for this podcast. So um, so we're done with Nicole for now. But of course, you guys know what is coming up next. Your favorite segment. Fuck it. I'm bothered. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I have Roland Martin, the political commentator, one man empire to thank for helping me really crystallize my fuck it, I'm bothered for today's episode. So a recent edition of Roland Martin Unfiltered, which is his digital news and opinion show. And by the way, congrats, Roland, because he launched his digital daily show a year ago and it is just killing the game. Black people, we complain about our communities being undercovered. Well, Roland definitely covers all the news and issues that are pertinent to us. So support. PSA over. Anyway, on his show, Roland and his panelists were discussing a recent episode of HBO's The Shop, a show created by LeBron James and Maverick Carter, where entertainers, athletes, newsmakers all come together to discuss real shit in a barbershop setting. Airs on HBO. Because that's where the real conversations supposedly take place, in the barbershop. This episode of The Shop featured Kevin Hart, Kevin Love, Maverick, CJ McCollum, Charlemagne the God, Rob Gronkowski, Paul Rivera, and Lil Nas X. And I apologize if for some reason I left somebody off the list. Uh, their conversation touched on everything from mental health to achieving greatness. But this moment when Lil Nas X explained why he decided to come out as gay as he has reached the height of some astonishing popularity is the moment everybody is talking about. Take a listen. And with all that early success, you felt it was important to make a, an announcement recently. He said he was gay, so what? Yeah, what's the point? So why uh, why did cares? he feel that was necessary? Who cares? That's actually my question. Why do you feel it was necessary to come out and say that? It's not that like it's like being forced. It's just like knowing like growing up, like I'm grown, I'm growing up to hate this shit. I'm not supposed to, to ever like what? this. Hate what? 
Hey, what? Homosexuality, gay Why? people. Come on now. Why are you going to? If you're really it? from the hood, you know. You like. You know, like it's it's, it's not some. So it's like if for me, the the cool dude with the song on top of everything to say this. Any other time, like I'm doing this for attention in my eyes. But if you're doing this like while you're at the top, you know it's like for real, and it's like. Showing like it doesn't really like matter, I guess. Exactly, it does. There it is. So it was obviously ironic that Kevin Hart was the one who chimed in first with the "so what," considering he stepped down from hosting the Oscars last year after some tweets and comments he made about gay people resurfaced. Most notably, when he said if his son were gay, he'd break a dollhouse over his head. Now the comments were from 10 or so years ago. And while Hart had already apologized before the Oscars gig came up for these comments, uh, in my opinion, he did not handle it well when the comments came to light again. Nevertheless, Kevin Hart's reaction to Lil Nas X unleashed a fresh batch of criticism, and it was something Roland said that really triggered my thoughts on this. Roland talked about the fact that we often have fake conversations about real shit. Now, Roland wasn't talking about Kevin Hart, but just saying in general. However, that actually does apply to Kevin Hart. The reason Kevin Hart's uh, Why Does It Matter pissed everybody off is because those of us watching felt like that was a fake reaction as well as the other folks on the show who threw in an amen to what Kevin said. Now, when I call the reaction fake, I'm not saying these guys uh, care whether Lil Nas X or anybody else is gay, but to pretend as if homophobia isn't real is definitely the definition of having a fake conversation. If we're going to have a real conversation, let's have one. I'll be honest, I used to be homophobic. I was raised to believe that gay people were going to hell. Growing up, we used to make fun of gay people all the time. My friends and I told gay jokes. We used the F word frequently, and I don't mean the four-letter one. I mean the one that rhymes with maggot. I've evolved, but that evolution may not have happened if two very close friends of mine hadn't told me they were gay. When they did, I replayed all the times where I said something homophobic in front of them or co-signed it from someone else. And the level of shame and embarrassment I felt it was life-changing. I had a front row seat to what they went through when they came out. I listened when they told me about how much they feared what people would say about them, how they would be treated differently, that they wouldn't be accepted, that they would disappoint their family. My one friend, a gay black man, he and I had many conversations about how one of his biggest fears was being looked at as less than a man because he was gay. He was also afraid that his straight male friends, both black and white, wouldn't want to hang out with him anymore once they found out he was gay. So here's the thing. When someone says they're gay, who cares is basically the equivalent of I don't see color. You might mean well, but what you're actually doing is dismissing their experiences and struggles. It was meaningful that Lil Nas X came out because he's making it easier for someone else to do the same. Suicide rates and depression are disproportionately higher among LGBTQ teens. Violence against these groups is still a big problem. The current presidential administration has rolled back a number of protections for the LGBTQ community, making it so much easier to discriminate and disrespect and disregard them. As a black gay man, Lil Nas X faces the double burden of homophobia and racism. So let's not have any more fake conversations about those issues and why they exist. Real conversations is how you stay unbothered. Jay 
Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify Studios and Unbothered Inc. and recorded and edited by Rich Burner and Cadence 13. Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Evan Dick is our executive producer. Jesse Burton is the executive producer for Spotify. And Denise Holly is the program manager. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. 